Welcome to the Ag Culture Podcast, where we cultivate tomorrow by inspiring agripreneurs and ag innovators through real-life stories in agriculture. I'm your host, Paul Windemaller, and today we have a different type of episode. It's a recording that I did a couple of months back with Peggy Coffeen, who hosts the Up Level Dairy Podcast. Many of you know that I am a dairy farmer. My wife and I own a dairy farm and we're first generation farmers. So I tell a bit of my story on how we went about getting started in our own farm. And Peggy really did a great job, I think, uh, interviewing me, digging out some of the the nuggets of the things that I learned uh, starting our farm and, and the struggles that we went through and some of the wins that we had along the way. So I hope you enjoy this episode, uh, getting to know myself better as the host of this podcast. But I also encourage you, if you are uh, a dairy, have a dairy background, that you check out Peggy's podcast. She does a great job, has great guests on, and it's more geared toward management uh, and operations to dairy farms in the U.S. So if that fits you, I encourage you to listen to her, but I hope you enjoy this interview that she did with me. I was in New Zealand. I spent about six months there when I was going to university there. And then my wife and I, after we got married after school, after college, we moved back out there for a year. And I had a mentor out there that allowed us to work on his farm. And they taught us a lot about business and agriculture and about the systems that they ran out in New Zealand. And the, you know, you look at the three different financial areas key financial areas for a successful farm financially, you know, you have profitability aspect was really what I noticed was a big focus in New Zealand. You had the share milking model, they call it out there. And that was a very, very big way for people like me to get into farming. And what they've really focused on was, was just generating more cash from assets that created that cash every day. So that's, that's what gave me the original catalyst to form our farm around. Okay. So tell the story of how you did start your dairy. So you were in New Zealand, you were kind of studying on the job, this business model, and then you come back to to good old Michigan. How many dollars did you have in your pocket, and well, what did you do first? <laughs> so we stepped off the plane from New Zealand back in the U.S. It was, I believe, it was June of 2012, and we had a three-month-old child that we had while we were out in New Zealand. We had two thousand dollars, and neither one of us had a job lined up or a place to live. So we lived with family for a, a couple of months until we got things figured out. And I mean, that was what, 11 years ago now? Not that long ago. <laughs> now we have six kids. And about two years after that is when we first purchased our farm property that we're at today. And we, we bought our farm with 13 acres and it had 
think there's four buildings on site plus a house. So we lived on the farm when we first bought it. And we rented pretty much the entire farm out right after we bought it to just generate enough cash to be able to afford the mortgage payment and the insurance and property taxes and all that. And then from there, over the next years, when we built up uh, a milking parlor and turned one of the barns, it's actually a turkey coop, into a freestall barn. Started. A turkey coop into a freestall barn. Yeah, it was, it was quite impressive. It was quite impressive. So that was utilized, I think, for two and a half years we had that before that came down. So. So let's just backtrack a little bit here because there are some things that you just shared that that I got to ask you a few more questions on. So, all right, 11 years ago, here's you, your wife, your newborn baby. You just get off the plane from New Zealand. You've got $2,000 and no jobs. And so I can only imagine what some people may have said <laughs> about about that situation to begin with. But then you find you find a farm, right? And so what were you looking for? Like you knew you, you at this point, you knew you wanted to get into dairy. And so- right. What were you looking for? Two things that I knew that I needed to have from what I saw in New Zealand were an area that had a good market. And at that time, that was right before the Michigan milk market kind of really turned south. <laughs> at that time, it, it was still pretty good. And the other thing was a very good infrastructure to support dairy farming. And where I am in Michigan, there's a lot of other dairy farms so there's a lot of support that I could get from neighbors as well as industry folks. Mm. So that was very important to me as well. So we started up once we were like, okay, we're going to start this farm. We're going to start milking here. We had about $20,000 of savings set aside to start with. So that was our initial uh, cash investment to start our farm. Mm, okay. And so you mentioned that after you bought the place, you started renting out right away. And so what, what areas did you rent to generate income and cash flow? So we had a storage shed that we rent out to one neighbor to just store equipment in. And we had about 10 acres of the, the farm was, had some pretty good pasture or fencing for pasture. And we rented that out to another neighbor for his beef cattle. And then the turkey coop, was rented out to another farm down the road that needed a place for bread heifers. So we rented that out to him. And then I, I kind of uh, kept an eye on him as well and, um, you know, made sure that, that they're all uh, looked after. So let's see. And then the other part of the barn, one of the other barns, uh, my wife and I raised feeder calves in. Okay. So you looked at pretty much everything that you had just invested in, or you probably looked at this before you made the investment and you said, okay, this is an area where we can generate some cash flow. This is an area where we can generate cash flow. And then were you at this time, were you a like full-time farmer or were you still working off the farm doing something? No, I was off the farm. Let's see, basically from not long after we got home from New Zealand until... The beginning of 2019 was really when I became a full-time farmer. So it was over five, yeah, about five years that we were actually dairy farming that I still had a full-time off-farm job. Okay. Yeah. So you didn't dive in a hundred percent right away. This was a, this, this was a planned, planned process and one that you gave some time to, or was it not planned? <laughs> well, I, 
I mean, it was it was planned to a certain extent. You know, going back to the the three key areas of financial success, you know, profitability, leverage are the other two pieces. And you can be profitable, but you need to have scale in order, even if you are profitable, you, you still need scale in order to make a living, right? You can't just milk two cows. And even if you're profitable at that, two cows isn't going to give you enough to live off of, right? So you needed to have scale or we needed to have scale in order to get to a point where it could sustain a living for our family. So the other aspect of that was leverage and starting out milking 30 cows in a turkey coop in a homemade parlor. There's not a lot of banks that lend on that. So no, um, at least that I found maybe, maybe that's different today, but yeah. So we had to, we had to show that we knew what we were doing and that we could generate a profit long enough and build a business to the point where it was worthy of investing in by the banks. Mm, I see. So, and, and that just was going to take some time. And right. and you had this knowledge going in, right? Because you, like, did did you study business along the way on the, you know, just kind of on the fly through some of these mentors, or were there some resources that you really kind of dug into and tapped into to understand these different business models and ways to make your dream come true? Yeah, I I've probably been reading business books since I could read. <laughs> You know, most kids are reading nursery rhymes when they're little. I was reading business books. I just love business. I'm fascinated by business, whether it's a farm or a manufacturing facility or a service business. I'm just fascinated by all business. So that's just one of my things is to look into what makes business successful in any area. And then seeing all my family and their businesses, being around that, learning from them. But also, I spent a lot of time traveling around the globe, traveling and meeting phenomenal farmers from around the world, from the Netherlands to New Zealand, Australia, Germany, Canada, all around the U.S. So I was really blessed in, in some of the jobs that I had to be able to meet those people and actually get paid to, to meet with them and build a relationship with them. So that was a big uh, aspect of, of my life and learning experience was, was learning from the people that had success already. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And you talked about tapping into business books since you were a toddler. So I can just picture your mother reading you these bedtime stories. <laughs> but what what are your top couple resources or authors or people that, that you tap into? Dan Sullivan's Strategic Coach has some really good ones. There, I would say that's more of a once you get your business rolling, like how to really dig in and improve and expand and scale it. One for me that I read, I think it was in junior high when I first read it, was the Rich Dad, Poor Dad book by Robert Kiyosaki. Um. I know a lot of people probably have heard of that before. That was a big one for me just to open my eyes of, of how not to work. Even when I was in a job, that I wasn't in that job to just make money. I was in that job to learn. And that was always mm. my, my perspective was, what can I learn by being in this job, being in this role? And so that was a big one. Yeah, just some of the classics like How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. I read a lot of sales books. I had sales roles prior to farming full-time. And those, I think you need to learn how to sell no matter what business you're in, what role you're in. I had to sell bankers on funding a farm milking 30 cows in a turkey coop. So <laughs> take some sales skills. <laughs> that sure does. So 
you spent five years, you know, after you bought the property, generating income from it, having a, a job that provided some off-farm income and starting to really build out what would be your, this, this dream dairy farm that you had. I say dream dairy farm. It was your dairy business, your dairy farming yep. business. When you started, what was the vision you had for the dairy farming business that you were building? What did it look like in your mind? So my 10-year goal uh, when we bought that farm property in 2013, July of 2013, was to milk 150 cows and be able to milk them on robots in 10 to 15 years. And that was 2013. Uh, 2014, May of 2014 is when we started milking cows. We uh, built a homemade parlor and started with 30 cows that we leased from the neighbor that was overcrowded. And then in the summer of 2015, we built our first freestall barn, real freestall barn that wasn't in a turkey coop. And we, that was a 160 stall barn. And then the following spring, we added on to that and we were milking 220 cows in through the parlor that I built for 30 cows. And then typical dairy farmer, you jumped yeah. into the dairy farming mentality right away. <laughs> right, right. Oh, I had that down pat. <laughs> Just asked my wife. And then in 2017, so this was the beginning of 2017. So we were milking, what is that? Two and a half years at that point. Okay. We put robots in and we were one of the first ones in our area to put robots in. And everyone thought we were nuts for starting to milk cows, number one. And then two and a half years later, we were really nuts because I was putting robots in. So we did that in 2017. And then we, we just put three robots in. So we actually went down a little bit in cow numbers. So we were milking 180 at that point. And then the following year in 2018, we took down the turkey coop and replaced it with a new freestall barn with the fourth robot that we have today as well as a nice dry cow and calving facility with that barn. And that wow. was kind of where we peaked out at. And then we just kind of grew into that cow numbers wise. Now we're up to about 250, 60 cows with uh, milky and dry. So over the last nine years, this has been the the chain of events that led you to be at the 250-ish. And it, you said it was like 20 grand that you started with. What did the 20 grand buy you? How did you invest that 20 grand when you started? Yeah, so we we most of that actually went into concrete for the parlor. So we had a hip roof barn that I built the parlor in. That was a tie stall barn. So I had 40 tie stalls in it originally. And one night after work, I went out there and busted up the concrete in the middle walkway after ripping out the tie stalls and started digging by hand. So your neighbors, had they had they just accepted that the crazy guy moved in next door by this yep. point? The rumor in town was that I was building a a horse stable, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Until I started milking cows. Then then everyone at the coffee shop took bets on how long I would last. And I think the longest one was four months. So. Uh, so did you at least bet on yourself with the coffee shop guys? No, I, I didn't. I didn't find out about it until after the first year. But I would have won. So. But you would have won. Yeah. Well, and look at where, where you're at now. So we, we put probably about 6000 of that 20000 in the concrete, and we poured the curbs in the turkey coop. And then the rest was spent. We put in, I think originally we put in 40 freestalls, and then we, we quickly added another 20 more. So we had 60 freestalls pretty quick. 
in the turkey coop there. And then I bought a, a drinker and the piping for the parlor. We made a just a you know a New Zealand style swing, very basic parlor that my dad and I welded up together in the tie stall barn. And then the the sales jobs that I had were going around the country talking with with some really great dairy farmers and through those relationships a lot of them you know they'd have the parlors that they milked in 40 years ago all the parts and pieces out back in the in the tree line and I would ask if I could scrounge around for parts in those and I think I pieced together six different parlors into our original parlor that we had and then so I, I had a few bucks into that and then our milk tank plate cooler and just getting that stuff installed and then you know, enough to pay the the first grain delivery that we had. That was pretty much where our twenty grand went. Wow. Okay. So of all of the of the costs and investments that go into dairy farming. So here you're starting up, you are, you know, you are really being innovative with how you're how you're finding these pieces and parts, put them together. But you also need a cows. Yep. So your cows you said didn't come out of the twenty grand. No, so a neighbor of ours, they had kind of maxed out their facility for milking and they didn't really want, they didn't like selling cows. They loved hanging on to their animals. So they leased me 30 cows to get started. I think the most we leased from them was like 120. We got up to that. And then when I built our new freestall barn, then I slowly started buying our own cows. So that was how we, we did it with the cows. And then Another neighbor of mine who's become a really good friend, and he thought I was nuts from the beginning, but he's still with me today. He's a great, great guy. So he had the forages at his farm. He milked 70 cows when I first was going, and he was looking at expanding, but he's a single guy. He wasn't really sure if he wanted to milk more cows. And I approached him and said, hey, what if you mixed feed for me and hauled my manure? Because you already have the equipment to do it. So he agreed to that. And I think I've mixed six batches of feed in the last 10 years or nine and a half years that we've been farming and he's done it ever since then or besides that. So he's been great. He's there at, at the farm every day. Even today, he still mixes feed for us and he uses his, his equipment for that. And then he hauled our manure. So I only had a $3,000 skid loader for the first three years that we farmed. That was wow. one piece of equipment that I owned. So. Yeah. So your creativity and very much outside of the box thinking helped you to take that 20 grand, stretch it in a million different directions and also look around you. We we talk about Dan Sullivan, the book. It's behind me on my shelf. Who, not how. I think you could have probably written that book yourself based on what you just shared about how you looked out into your neighborhood and saw, hey, there's a guy that's got more cows than he wants to milk and you could solve his problem. Then you've got the other guy who's got equipment that could be higher utilized and equipment that you didn't want to invest in. So right. you had a problem, you had a problem, you find the solution. Is that kind of, is that, has that been somewhat of a motto for your dairy farming business? Definitely. Collaboration is probably the number one buzzword around my farm. Like you said, with the, the two neighbors there in those examples. And it's really cool to see it where that goes to, like the neighbor that mixes feed for me today. He hasn't, he sold his cows in, I think it was 2017, 2017 or 2018. And today all he does is his full-time business is mixing feed. He mixes feed for five farms now and he makes wow. a lot more money than he did milking cows. 
but he's really good at it. He loves mixing feed. That was always his favorite thing about farming. So it's really cool to see when, when you collaborate with others, just like in the book, who, not how, you know, you find the who and, and what they're great at. Right. And then help them achieve that. And, and you do what you're really great at. I'm, I'm good at putting together business systems and, and that's what I enjoy. I, I enjoy working with cows too, but I have people on my farm today that are better at that than I am. Yeah, absolutely. uh, That's been kind of fun to see all the different ways to work together and with neighbors that grow crops for us and, and how we can integrate into their businesses and help them be successful and, and diversify their crop rotations and utilize our manure. I want to revisit a couple of things that you just talked about, but before we get to that, just kind of walking back through this, this story, five years in where now you've got a herd of cows you started to build up and you invested in robots. And like you said, you were one of the first in the area at the time to do that. And so typically when a dairy is interested in doing some robots, that requires some conversations with a lender. I'm assuming at some point you had to go to the bank and say, hey, like this is what I'm working on. This is what I want to do. And this is what I've just built one piece at a time. And this is where you want to go investing in technology. And there's a price tag for that. So talk a little bit about how you went from that bare bones startup to now investing in technology. Well, I think it started from just the bank witnessing the growth that I had early on without their help and without needing as much cash as normally would be thought of to start a farm. And, and seeing that, hey, it is profitable along the way, even though he's not very big and, and he didn't have any equity when he started. So that was part of it. But I guess a quick story on the original bank loan that I ended up getting for the farm was I, I had a friend that was in excavating and he put together a quote for me of, of what it would cost to do the excavation for the first manure pit and barn area that I would need done. And it was probably actually a little low. I mean, it was, it was a very fair quote. And I'm like, I don't think I can probably come up with the cash to pay to do this, but I just need a quote to show the bank. And the bank said, well, you need to have a certain amount of equity before we're even going to look at lending you this money for this new barn. And so I thought, well, I'm going to call up the rental company. I'm going to rent a bulldozer and an excavator for a week and see what I can do. And for three grand, I ran a bulldozer and an excavator and put some fuel in them and had a couple of buddies help me out a little bit too. And we did all the excavation in about a week for the manure pit and the barn pad. And then I called up the banker and, and I asked him to come out to the farm. I said, would you, would you come out and visit? I wanted to talk to you about this barn project. And he came out, he saw all the excavation work was done, looked good. And I showed him here's a quote for what the excavation value is of, of what's done so far. Is that good enough for my down payment on the barn loan? He said, that should be, that should be pretty close. So that's how we ended up getting the, the first barn loan. And wow. Yeah. That, I, I didn't quite pull that off with the, the robots, but I, I had a couple different lenders that worked with me. One worked with me on the, on the infrastructure that we needed to put in for the robots and the other one worked with me on the robots themselves. And, and the two said, well, if the other one does the other part, then, then we'll be willing to, to do the other. So. Yeah. So again, a little bit of collaboration and cooperation to get the loans done. Yeah. And creativity. And creativity. <laughs> In a legal way. 
Of course, of course. We wouldn't talk about anything that wasn't in public on here. So one thing I'm curious about, why did you want to go with, with automated milking? And how did that fit into your business model? Yeah, so one of the big aspects of my business model was trying to do, trying to make every job on the farm a one-person job. Mm. I wanted to be extremely labor efficient. And I also wanted to make sure that, you know, when you have two people tr- needing to do a job a lot, a lot of times you'll have what I call shrink in your labor, right? You're, you're not necessarily getting two full people's time out of that effort. You, you might be getting one and a half times the result out of two people's times instead of a hundred percent out of one person's time. So my goal was to try and make as many jobs on the farm, one person jobs. And through the, the robots, I feel like we were able to achieve that. So the other aspect of it too is it's a lot easier to attract people that want to work on a dairy farm that don't just want to milk cows. They want to do a little bit of everything. And with, with robots, you can do a lot of different jobs in, in your regular chore shift. So that, that definitely interests uh, a lot more people to, to be drawn to work there. Yeah. Yeah. So you want to be able to attract the right people and good people to yeah. come and to be a part of the team. And, you know, going back to one thing we keep talking about, that that who, not how piece. So talk a little bit about the employee side of things, because as you had mentioned earlier as well, you have somebody on your team that's better at cows than you are, right? Because yeah. you love the business side more than you love being the guy or the gal or person that's with the cows all the time. So how many employees do you have, first off? So right now we have one full-time person and we have, usually we'll have between one and two other part-time helpers. And ever since we started our farm, a big um, part of how we wanted to serve the community was to provide opportunities for young people that are interested in agriculture that may not be from a farm to have that opportunity to grow and learn at a farm. And so a, a big core value of ours is, is being able to provide opportunities for teaching and education. And we've done that through, I think we've had people now on our farm that have basically made a full-time career after being at our farm in agriculture, coming up through high school, through the FFA programs. We have a great relationship with those in our local community. And just being able to teach those people and, and help them get connected in the industry to to get full-time employment. Our current farm manager is came to us a year ago, and she's not off a of farm either. She's kind of grew up being around farming and, and had a real passion for it. And she came to us, and, and we taught her about, about animal health, and she already knew a bit about equipment and cows, and, and she just really blossomed to have the opportunities and the freedom to, to grow and learn. And she's been doing a great job taking off on that. So it's, it's been really fun to see. Yeah. So you found your who's. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And, the, and or they find you. <laughs> yep. The Lord brings them to us. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. And so, so that's really what's, what's made this all work is just this combination of your innovative thinking and looking looking around at, first of all, staying focused on your business model, but then also looking around at what's already around you and what resources can you tap into and utilize to to make this all work. So 
nine years. You've done a lot in nine years. You've come a long way in nine years. What's been the biggest challenge? What's been the hardest part of this journey? It's not been all sunshine and roses, I can tell you that. <laughs> Was there ever a time when you wanted to quit? I don't think there was ever a time that I wanted to quit. There was a time that I thought I might be forced to quit. And it was a very real, real moment. And, you know, that was, that was very hard. That was a very low moment in, in our lives, my wife and I's lives. But through that time, we grew very close to each other. And we have a very strong marriage, I think, because of that today. And we both grew very much in our faith with the Lord and looked to him for our guidance and for really what we're supposed to do. And that put into perspective, you know, why, why are we here? Why, why did God put us in this position to be farming? Maybe, maybe he's calling us to do something different now and, and we're going to be okay with that if, if that's the case. But we're just, yeah, really grateful that he allowed us to keep farming and to come out the other side of that with a level of success that we have today, it's still not all sunshine and roses, but it, it's definitely, we've been, been very blessed in the last couple of years through the success that we've had with the farm. So that, that was, yeah, going through COVID and, and that whole period of time with the milk markets and, and low prices and uncertainty and uncertainty with, with our lenders, it's just a, a very low, low point in our lives that we, we got through. So it was really kind of that COVID season was the, the point in, in your dairy farming, dairy business journey that, that, that really hit some of those, those challenging times. Yeah. yeah. And, and even starting out, you know, bootstrapping a, a business with 20 grand, like mm -hmm. a dairy farm is you're, you're always putting all the chips on the table every day for that first, you know, few years when you're starting. And you just have to be okay with, you know what, I, I'm going to put the chips on the table and there's a very good chance that we're going to lose them all, but it's, you know, there, there's going to be opportunity if we have to, to, to start over and do something different if we need to. And I think that was one of the ways that we were able to grow so quickly was I look at a lot of friends that, that are second, third, fourth generation dairy farmers and they've just got so much pressure to perform and not take risks. So it's very hard for them to grow unless they have really good structure, really good support. And, and they're really wise with what they're doing with us. We just, we just kind of put the motor down and, and went for it every day because we, we didn't have a lot to lose to start out. So how would you describe your appetite for risk? I would say it's going going down from what it was when we first started, but I was always somewhat risk averse from the beginning. Most people wouldn't think that from looking from the outside, but I think pretty much every month that since we were able to forward contract, there's like a there was six month window where when we first started out that we weren't able to forward contract. But ever since then I've had a forward contract on our milk. So that's been basically nine years that we've, I've had a forward contract on every single month on our milk. And I do a lot of forward contracting with our feed as well. So I, although from the outside, it looks like I have a big appetite for risk. I definitely mitigated that. And my philosophy around 
forward contracting was if I can do a base hit or, you know, I do a double every year, I don't need to hit a home run every year. I just need to string enough base hits together to, to be successful. And that's what we did over a long period of time. Yeah. Over nine years. Another one of the big challenges that I had, you know, we, we talked a lot about the business model that we had starting out and there's always a tendency of, oh, well, maybe I can do this now, or maybe I'll change and do this. So having a very clear understanding of what my business model is and staying on task with that or, or, you know, keeping that in mind for all my big decisions, mm -hmm. I think is very important. Every, I look at the few times that I actually did veer away from the business model that I had set up. And almost every time we did that, it was not a good decision. It was bad financially. <laughs> so I think that's a great key point is for anyone, no matter what size you are, is really understand what your business model is. And you don't have to have the same business model as me to be successful. You do need to understand what your business model is, what competitive advantage that you have through that business model, and then how to, how to grow and, and how to make good decisions based on that business model for your business. And you've spent a lot of time teaching yourself these concepts and, and living by them. And so for our listeners out there that maybe aren't as familiar, can you just go through those three business models and give us the quick clip notes of what differentiates one from the other? Yeah. So the, the three key financial metrics that I look at, I think that's what you're referring to, would be profitability, leverage, and asset turnover. So asset turnover, at least my definition that I use for my business model is I want to create as many dollars of revenue for every dollar of asset that I have. So for most of my business career with our farm, my goal was to produce at least $1 of revenue for every dollar of assets that I have. Most people probably think that's absolutely nuts. Like you can't do that, right? We've done it all, but I think two years, I just calculated that the other day. I think there was two years that we didn't achieve a hundred percent. So but with, with that, that means you're using your, your equity very efficiently, using your assets very efficiently, I should say. And you, you don't have assets that aren't turning every day. You can't really do that if you're going to have grow your own, a lot of your own feed or raise all your own replacements, those type of things, because those assets aren't going to generate dollars on day one. So... You can have a business model where, where you grow all your own feed and grow all your own heifers and, and be, have everything internally, but that, that takes a completely different mindset than what mine does. And, that, and I know people that have had that type of business model and they can feed a really high rate of forage because they're really good at raising forages because they have a ton of equipment to get the job done well and quickly, right? So they're, they're focused on feeding high forage diets that can generate a lot of milk off of high forage, low cost diets. And that pays for the equipment that they have. It pays for the labor they have. Maybe they have a big family, maybe they're third or fourth generation farm that has a lot of family that wants to stay on the farm. So there's, there's a lot of different ways you can do it, but a farm like that is gonna struggle with trying to operate like I do with extreme asset efficiency because 
if they're focused on producing a lot of high quality forage and then they sell all their equipment, now that that can't be their main focus, right? That's going to be a lot harder for them to do that. So just understanding what, what assets you have, not just financial or physical assets, but mental assets, you know, labor wise, what you enjoy doing. I enjoy the business side of it. Some people really enjoy mechanical side of things. They like working on equipment. So for them, it makes a lot more sense to have their own equipment that's maybe older, that's used, that's they can work on versus buying all brand new equipment every three years. So those are, those are a few examples of really understanding what your business model is and what you're, what you're looking to achieve. Well, thanks for walking through that. And it sounds like one of the keys for you has been just staying focused and consistent. Well, and let's go back before even that point, deciding this is how I'm going to run this business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that goes back to, like I said, early on seeing the success of the share milker system in New Zealand, you know, we don't mm-hmm. have that system in the U S but the way that I set my business up was probably about as close as you can get to that here. When you think about like, I mean, obviously we've talked a lot about how you've got to where you are right now on the dairy farming business side. And I'm, I, I'm guessing that you also have a 10 year plan <laughs> <laughs> that you're looking at or well beyond that, maybe a 25-year plan because I know you're a Dan Sullivan fan as well. What does your business look like 10 years from now? Honestly, that that's one thing that I've been really working on the last six months. You know, I, I had mentioned to you earlier before we started recording, I believe, I'm going to be doing quite a bit of travel here in the next 18 months. And that's really, I believe that's really going to shape where my career is going to go beyond our farm as where it is today. I love teaching young people how to um, get involved in agriculture. So I, I think our farm that we have today is a great place to do that. It gives them freedom to do that. It's not big enough where you're going to blow millions of dollars if you make one wrong decision. So, it, yeah, I, I enjoy that aspect of it, but I also want to add more value to people in the industry. So mm. that's leading my career down a different path to, to be able to continue to grow. And I, I'm going to be launching a podcast here at the beginning of the year as part of that effort. And, and then, the, the, like I said, the travel over the next 18 months around the world studying a topic in agriculture will also be part of that as well. Okay. So those are two pretty cool things that you just mentioned here, Paul. So traveling around the world (laughs) and also launching a podcast. So let's talk about those two things for just a moment. So the podcast, what's it called and what can people expect from it? Yeah. So the podcast is called Ag Culture Podcast. So it's AG Culture Podcast. And it's really to inspire curiosity and through stimulating real life examples in agriculture from around the world. So I've been blessed to have relationships from people around the world. And, you know, I, I have some great conversations with people from around the world, learned a lot from them. And I really wanted to share that with others. And, and I thought a podcast would be a great avenue to do that. Right. 
So we're going to be interviewing people in the coffee industry, in the greenhouse industry, quite a few from the dairy industry, obviously. I've got a lot of contacts in dairy, but also the venison industry, just a wide variety of, of topics and sectors, because I believe we can learn a lot from other sectors and even other businesses that aren't in agriculture. I, I think we can learn a lot from. That's where I've learned a lot from. So I want to be able to bring that to others as a way of, of giving back for the people that have invested in me and, and provide encouragement to those that are starting out in their journey where I was maybe 10 years ago. So that's, that's part of it. The other part of it was the, the scholarship program that I'm going to be involved in. It's called Neffield Scholars. That was kind of the stimulus as well for me to start the podcast. I was hoping to to receive that that honor and fortunately I did because I kind of kind of based the podcast a little bit around that. So I'll be traveling around the world studying a topic in ruminant livestock for the next 18 months as part of that. So cool. So traveling around the world over the next year and a half through this scholarship that you received and turning your travels that are coming up as well as the experiences you've had from your international travels and business building in the past to be able to create this Egg Cultures podcast. So super excited for you, Paul, that you will have this avenue to, as you said, give back and share these stories from across the country and around the world. And it sounds like it'll lead to some great inspirational stories that other folks in the dairy industry, in the agriculture industry, will be able to learn from and gain from and grow from and probably a little bit of entertainment too. Yeah, that's the goal. Excellent. Excellent. Well, all right. Well, we've covered a lot today. We've talked about how you started a dairy with $20,000 in your pocket and pieced it together from scratch. And then now today, milk 250 cows and have a robot barn. And also you're now going to be launching the podcast and traveling around the world. So, it, I mean, it, it's almost like you almost can't even plan for this, right? Like when you when you plan the robot barn, I mean, was the goal so that someday you could be gone for months and travel around the world? I've always loved to travel. So I, I knew I wanted to be able to do that, but I didn't think that I would get to that point or to, to get to this point, this age of my life. So I feel very blessed to have that opportunity. Yeah, yeah, excellent. And and you'll be able to use these opportunities to give back to others in multiple ways and in a multiplying effect. And I'm excited to see how that all unfolds for you as you get to venture off in these different directions and continue to give back to the industry and the people in it. And so, you know, Paul, as we as we wrap up here, we've covered a lot of things today and your very cool story of how you got from where you started to where you are today and where you're going, which is even more exciting as we look into the future. But, you know, knowing that with the Up Level Dairy podcast, we're reaching ears of dairy owners and managers and the people that sit closest to them at the table, you know, across the country, around the world. And what, what is it that you would love to be able to share? What do you think are some of the things that you have learned, a couple of highlights of things that you have learned about dairy, about business, about life that you'd like to share with these listeners today? Yeah, I think really under, taking the time to understand 
what you're looking to get out of your business, what you're looking to get out of life, right? Where you feel called to go, what you feel called to do. If you start with that in mind and then figure out what are your, what are your values and what aligns with that, what work aligns with that, and what opportunities are in front of you that you can take advantage of. You know, everyone's got a competitive advantage somehow. I don't care who you are. You just got to find it. And I was blessed to find, find mine at a young age. I was really passionate about business and was in a community that, that valued agriculture that I enjoyed and was able to take advantage of that, that opportunity. So just really look out for, I mean, we talked about it before we started, right? There's so many opportunities out there today. Just figure out what you enjoy and what your competitive advantage is in life and, and pursue that. Paul, I know one other piece of, of who you are and what makes you who you are is your strong faith. And you referenced that earlier in our conversation today. What role has that played in your business, in the way that you do things, the way that you pursue, the way that you pursue, you know, these, these things that you're stepping into, some pretty big things in the next year? Yeah, obviously, it starts with, you know, why, why are we here for me, right? What's my purpose to be here? And it's, for me, it's to serve the Lord and to serve others. And I feel like he's given, God's given me the ability to be a good businessman. He's given me the ability to, and, and desire to enjoy farming and, and understanding that business and for travel. So that's why I'm, I'm pursuing those things is because God instilled that in me. And I think you really if you start with that foundation, it makes it a lot simpler to make hard decisions in life. And for me, it got me through some really tough times is focusing on, okay, I'm, I'm here to serve the Lord and to serve others. And sometimes doors close that you wanted to go through and sometimes doors open that you didn't expect, right? That, that's how the Lord works and that's how he's worked in my life. Yeah. And there's a big door wide open for you to go on a pretty big adventure in the next year and a half. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview that Peggy Coffeen did with me on her podcast, the Uplevel Dairy Podcast. And I encourage you again, go check her podcast out if you're in the dairy industry. It's a great listen. You'll enjoy it every time. And I encourage you, if you got something out of this episode, please share it with somebody that you know. And as always, if you would take the time to rate and review the Ag Culture Podcast, we would really appreciate it. Until next time, stay curious. Thanks.